Amen. Thanks, Renee. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. I'm pumped for today. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, that's where we're going to uh, end up spending our entire day today. If you don't know me, my name is JT. I am one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that you're here today. And so normally I would say, um, if this is your first time, I want to meet you after service. Please come find me. I'll answer any questions that you might have. And this is a sermon today, honestly, that might bring up some questions and I want to be able to answer those for you. But um, something happened today. So if you didn't know, uh, Stephanie Pinnacuff and Trenton are getting married today. Stephanie's been with us for a really long time. Her, um, her parents have been members for a really long time too. And uh, they're getting married at 2.30. Yay, right? It's really exciting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we want to celebrate weddings and baptisms and births and all those things. Um, but their pastor um, that was going to do the ceremony is Dr. Marshall, John Marshall. If you don't know Dr. John Marshall, he, Dr. John Marshall used to be the pastor of Second Baptist Church, who planted Freshwater Church in Bolivar, who planted us. So they're our grandparent church. And Dr. Marshall has been really um, a very big support of Freshwater and of me and a great mentor and especially of my pastor in Bolivar. He was a great mentor to him. Well, anyway, he's doing okay, but um, he's had some heart issues and some, and some things like that. And so he's on blood thinners. Well, today he got a, a bloody nose this morning that they couldn't stop bleeding because of those blood thinners. It just kept going and going. And so he's actually in the hospital. So guess who's doing the wedding now? me. And so I got a call 20 minutes before I left. Hey, can you do the wedding today? So as much as I normally like to hang out and talk and meet and answer questions after the service, as soon as I'm done preaching, I'm out the door um, because I don't, I'm going to have to wing it, but it's somebody's wedding. I don't want to have to fully wing it, right? It's the most, maybe the most important day of their life other than believing in Jesus or having kids. So um, I want to be as prepared as I can for that. And so I have to be there about 1.30, 1.45. So it doesn't give me a lot of time to put together what's going to happen today. So I'm going to preach and then I'm going to be out of here. And so if you don't know, Brandon, will you stand up real quick? Or if you're a deacon, Jeff, if you're a deacon, will you stand up real quick? Deacons? That's all we got here today? Deacons, I tell you, no. Just joking. So there's Jeff and Renee in the back and Brandon up here and Denny's back with his kids right now. Oh, Esther, Esther's in the back. Esther, stand back up. That's Esther. If you have any questions, if you um, need any prayer, there's going to be people praying over here after the service. They'd love to pray with you. But after that, if you have any questions, any discussions, you find those people and you talk to them or I'll be back here next week. Um, I would love to answer any questions that you have. Um, okay. So, okay, that's it. I'm going I'm to stick to that for today. So, um, let's get into this. I, I don't know if you ever think about this, but sometimes I wonder if someone else was asked about my life, and, and they were asked, well, what, what, what in JT's life reflects the glory of God more than anything else? I wonder what they would say. Because I so badly want my life to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's something that I pray all the time, that, that I'd be filled with God's Holy Spirit so that when people are around me, they would experience the glory of God in some tangible way. Not because of me, right? I don't care about me. I want to point them to Jesus. So sometimes I wonder if someone is asked, what in JT's life most points to the gospel what would that be? Points to the glory of God, what would that be? And so my question for you is to think about it for a second. What in your life do you want to point to the glory of God more than anything else? Or what do you think in your life does point to the glory of God more than anything else? Do you think it's your kindness or your patience or your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness? And if you're not sure what that might be, actually think about it for a second. What do you want it to be? What do you think it is? If you're not sure, what would you want it to be? Not just what it is. What would you want it to be? 
And here's the reality. One of the ways that I want my life to reflect the glory of God and point people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ more than anything else, more than anything else, is the way that I love my wife and my kids. Right? As I say all the time, I want, I want my church to even know that it's Jesus Christ, my wife, my kids, and then everything else. And that you know how much I love this church and how I want to give my life to serve this church, but I always want them to know they're the number one because God has called me to love my family as myself, to love my wife and my family as Christ himself loved his church and gave himself up for her. So I want my marriage almost more than anything to reflect the glory of God and the way in particular for me, the way that I love as Christ loved me and called me to lay down my life. So here's my question for you ladies. How many of you, when I ask that question, the first thing that, that popped in your mind is the way I want to affect God's glory and point to the gospel of Jesus Christ is by the way I submit to my husband. Raise your hand if that was number one. Right, I'm guessing that wasn't number one, the first thing that popped in a lot of people's minds. So we're going to be tap tackling that easy topic today. What does submission really mean? Biblically, what does that mean? Because the Bible clearly says that this is a part of a marriage, and but it doesn't really match up with our culture today. So what does that mean? What is God asking? What does that look like? And so we're going to look at um, gospel-centered marriage in Ephesians 5. And so if you haven't been with us, what we've been doing is we've been walking through this series, Gospel-Centered Family. And if you're new to the whole, whole gospel thing, gospel, really when we say gospel, we just mean Jesus, Right? Jesus is the gospel. Yes, it's his life, his death, his resurrection, right? His death on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven by believing in him and how as he was resurrected, we can be resurrected as something new, washed completely clean, made new by Christ. That's the gospel. But really the gospel is Jesus Christ, who is our savior, who was the son of God that came to bring redemption to the world. So really we could say Christ-centered family. And so we've been walking through a series of what does it mean to be a gospel-centered family? And so we started off talking about how we are all sons of God. And remember, that's not a gender thing. That's a position thing before God. How we are all firstborn sons of God when we believe in Jesus Christ. And so God not only saved us so that we could be sons of God, but in the, well, after we are saved, God wants us, wants us to become more and more and more like our Father, to experience His glory, to know His joy, to know His grace and peace, to become more like Jesus Christ as the sons of God, as He is a son of God. The whole the whole series was kind of built on that foundation because we are, as Renee was pointing out, we are the family of God. That's who we're meant to be. And then out of that foundation, we talked about what it means to be a Jesus, a gospel-centered man, a gospel-centered woman, and then an gospel-centered single person. And so then last week, we opened up Ephesians 5, and we looked at what does it mean to have a gospel-centered marriage. And as I said before, that's kind of the heart of this thing because marriage is woven all through Scripture. Right? As I said last time, Christ describes his family as he describes his church as his bride. Heaven's described as a wedding banquet. So a marriage in a lot of ways is kind of right at the heart of the gospel. We'll see why more in here in just a second. And so last week what we did is we really looked at um, what is the purpose of marriage? And we're going to talk about that just briefly this week. What's the purpose of marriage? And then we specifically looked at what the roles of husbands is within the marriage because God gave husbands and wives specific roles. And so we looked at men last week. So well, this week, what we're going to dive into is we're going to do a real a quick refresher on what is the purpose of marriage? What is God's intention for marriage? And then we're going to look specifically at the role that God gave women, a role that very directly reflects the image of God himself, right? A role that directs, directly reflects the image of God himself. 
So here's what I'm going to do. Just to make sure that we're all on the same page, particularly if you missed last week, I'm going to read our whole passage in Ephesians 5 again, and then we'll go back and we'll talk about it. So open up your Bibles or your apps or whatever to Ephesians 5, and we're going to start in verse 22. Ephesians 5, verse 22, and we'll read through verse 33. All right, so Ephesians 5, 22 says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he, Jesus, might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, so if you were here last week, you know that I started at the bottom of the passage, which is something I almost never do. I always just walk from the top to the bottom. But um, the purpose of marriage is really found in the last three verses. Like, what is really God's intention? And the rest of the passage is really explaining how we get to that purpose. And so I want to do that same thing this week. Just real quickly, I want to read verses 5, 31 through 33 again, and then just talk about that briefly. So let's look at it one more time, because this is vitally important. If you want to understand the purpose of marriage, it's found right here. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, the mystery of marriage, of becoming one flesh, is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, I don't want to spend too much time here, because we dove this into this last week, but here's the gist. The main point of marriage is not to make you happy, is not to give you, a companion, give you companionship or a relationship or even to give you children, although all those things are great. And I think God intends for all of those things to be a part of your marriage. Like they're really, really important and they're really, really good, right? So I'm not knocking any of those things, but that's not the primary purpose of marriage. The primary purpose of marriage is to reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says this mystery, this mystery of becoming one flesh, right? Our mingling of souls is meant to reflect our union with Christ when we believe in him. When he died for our sins, when he made us clean, when he raised us to something new, the Bible uses the same language that we become one flesh with Christ, that we become one spirit with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's this crazy mystery that came to fruition when Jesus brought the new covenant in his blood. And so as I said last week, your soulmate is not some man or woman out there like we see in every romantic comedy, right? Your soulmate is meant to be Christ himself because you are his bride and he is your husband. The true purpose of marriage is to display the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. As we'll talk about in a minute, that's why nothing is more sanctifying, virtually nothing is more sanctifying in your life than marriage. It shows you what grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience and long-suffering and all of those things that God, God is for us. You see all of those things play out in marriage because you need all of those things to have a healthy marriage. It displays our union with Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. It's two people with souls mingled together 
that show grace, that show mercy, that speak truth, and most importantly, unconditionally love each other despite all the failures, despite all the faults, despite all the sins, because that's exactly how Christ has loved us. Despite our failures, he still loves us unconditionally if we've given our life to him. So we choose to love each other in marriage every day. Listen, love is an emotion, but emotions ebb and flow. Like Again, Renee, I keep pointing back to you. You're just talking about today, right? You could cry today, but later on today, you might not feel like crying at all. Our emotions ebb and flow. Feelings ebb and flow, but love in a, within a covenant marriage is a choice as Christ just simply chooses to love us. We choose to love every single day because that's exactly what God has done for us. It's a reflection of the gospel. So our passage is, is going to tell us today that there's, there's a myriad of ways that we can reflect the mystery of the gospel, but the primary way that as men and as women that we reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ, we point back to this mystery, is for wives. For, well, for men to love their wives as themselves and for wives to respect their husbands. So if you were with us last week, you, you heard me say this to the men, that the main way that we show this kind of love to our wives is found in verses 25 through 30. As I said already, we love our wives as Christ loved himself and gave himself up for her. Christ died for his church to make her pure, to make her holy, to to make her shine. And so the leadership that God has given us as men in the, in the home, that this headship that it's talking about comes from us by, but comes from us sacrificing our needs, sacrificing our wants, sacrificing our time, sacrificing our gifts so that we might show our wives how much we love them. I know our culture doesn't portray headship in that way, but if you look at the passage, this is talking about spiritual leadership. It's not about planning all the future and you having all the control. It's not about domineering. It's not about you leading from the front and your wife having to do everything you say. That's ridiculous. It's anti-gospel. It's anti-God. It's saying love your wife as you love yourself. Cherish her. Nourish her. It means giving her whatever she needs to grow. You cherish and nourish so that she might thrive. And here in a second, we're going to talk, that's what we're going to be talking about today. The role that God gave women so that husbands might thrive. This is a mutual, as I said before, this is a dance that we dance together. God gave us specific roles, but it's a dance that we dance together so that we both might thrive. And the men's role is to take responsibility for the spiritual leadership of your home so that your family, so that your wife might thrive. Of course, you both love Jesus. You both pour into your kids spiritually. You do this together. It's a partnership, but he's calling men to actually take the responsibility to make sure this happens to create a safe environment where wives and children might thrive for the glory of God. And to always be loving our wives, always be loving our wives in a way that points them back to Jesus again and again. So much more to say, obviously, about the role of husbands that God gave us, but I really encourage you, if you missed it, to go back and listen to last week, because I don't think you can fully grasp this week without having last week the foundation of that. But this week, we're going to focus on what God has called wives too. And what did it say in verse 33 is the main way that you reflect the mystery of the gospel and our union with Jesus Christ? To respect your husbands. Now, as I said last week, ladies, of course you're supposed to love your husbands. I mean, like deeply love them as Christ loves them, right? And of course, husbands are supposed to respect our wives. We must respect our wives. But listen, there's a myriad of ways. There's so many things that go into having a healthy, even God-centered marriage, right? So many different things. But what God is saying, the primary way, the primary thing for wives to, 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 pour, to reflect the gospel, to reflect the union of Jesus Christ in their marriage is to respect their husbands. And verse 22 through 24 
I think tells, tells you, ladies, what it looks like to respect your husband, like the primary way. So let's look at 22 through 24 one more time. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I'm fully aware, of course I'm fully aware that this is not a popular thing in our culture right now. And truthfully, um, many of us don't, don't like the word submit. Men and, men and women don't like the word submit, but in particular our culture, um, the, women are not a fan of this word at all in respect to their husbands specifically. And hear me, I totally get that. It's not like I don't understand that. Right? Of, of course, there's an issue the way our culture works right now, but just stick with me just for a minute. Like, like, let's look at it in context just for a second. Because as I said last week, the way that Paul tells husbands to love their wives what at that time was radically countercultural. As I said last week, women had almost no rights. They had almost no voice in the public sphere. As I said last week, their testimony didn't even hold up in court at that time. And so the fact that Paul is saying, husbands, no, 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 you don't, you don't lead the way the rest of the world leads. You don't dominate or control your wife the way, the way the rest of the world tries to do it. No, you love your wife as yourself. You nourish her. You cherish her. You give your all to love her as Christ and give yourself up for her was radically pro-women, was radically countercultural at the time. And so reading this, it's, it's hard to see that in our context because we come from a different context, but this was radically pro-women. So in light of what God actually says male leadership is, giving your life for the sake of your wife, and in light of the context of this passage, it shows us what our culture is portraying about just submission in general. Because look, just look at Facebook. We have a problem in our culture with submission to authority no matter what. Like, huge problem with submission in our culture just across the board, but... Um, it shows us in context what submission in marriage is supposed to be and how badly our culture and the portrayal of this just badly misses the mark. Ladies, hear me. This is not at all meant to be just begrudging submission, bitter submission, kind of frustrated submission to your husband. This is, this is willing. Hear me, and you're going to see it in a second why. This is even joyful submission to your husband's spiritual leadership in awareness of what that leadership is supposed to be. Not what our culture, not, what, not how men have failed. Like in awareness of what it, the leadership of a husband is supposed to be and in awareness that this is in no way a lesser role at all. And I'm going to prove it to you. It's simply, it's simply this, an acknowledgement of God's good, beneficial, and right design for you and your marriage. That's what this is. And so here, here's the thing. I'm not going to beat around the bush on this one. Um, when it says submit, that's literally what it means. And I'll, I'll just be honest. This is the truth of this. Like, I, over the last few weeks when I was studying this passage, um, I think I wanted it to say something a little less than that. I went back to the Greek. I, the original language was written in Greek. I went back to the Greek, and I looked at the word, and I studied the word, and I looked at it in the context of the rest of Scripture, and this is the culture bleeding into me too, right? The culture, I have to fight culture bleeding into me too. I wanted it to be a little lighter than what it actually says, and listen, when it says the word submit, it is the word submit, right? To be subordinate to your husband's spiritual leadership, that seems kind of, doesn't that seem just kind of blunt and kind of bold in our culture? But that's, that's what it says. That's what it means. I couldn't get around it, even if there's a small part of me that wanted to. So why? Why this word submit? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at it from primarily kind of for a sec, just for a second, kind of from a secular point of view. 
what this means, and then we're going to look at it from a very biblical point of view. So let's look at the secular point of view on this kind of first. I may not be going where you think I am. Even from a very secular point of view, we have a crisis of fatherhood and male leadership in our country. Is that, can, we, can we even argue that? Is that something that can even be argued? Listen, everything I'm about to say came from a governmental, a .gov study, right? This is a huge study that the government did. This is not on a Christian website. This is not Christian influence. This is from a governmental website on the crisis of fatherlessness and lack of father, uh, fathers leading their homes in this country. Right now, for kids that are in kindergarten through 12th grade, right now, almost 40% of them are growing up in a home without a father. Think about that. 40% in 1960, that was 11%. Now 40%. And a lot of you are a statistic in this room. You grew up without an engaged father in your home. And that means either your father didn't live in the home at all and you never saw him, or you had a father, but he was, he was not engaged in your life in any meaningful way whatsoever, right? 40% of kids, I think it was 38%, are now growing up in a home without a dad, without any meaningful relationship with a father. On the flip side of that, only 8% are growing up in homes without a mother. And that includes things like death, like being widowed, right? Only 8%. We have a father crisis in our country. And the fallout, I think a lot of us, if we've ever looked into this at all, know that the fallout of that is pretty significant. I'm going to argue that it's worse than what you think it is, right? I, I knew this was a huge problem. I've looked into this before, but as I looked at the statistics, I was blown away. Listen, 85% of people in prison right now grew up in fatherless homes. 85%. How can you dodge that? 85%, 90%, 90 of homeless youth grew up in a fatherless home. Think about how mad that is, how crazy that is. 63% of teen suicides come from fatherless homes. The rate of drug abuse, behavior problems, health problems, dropping out of school, obesity, Poverty, depression, bad self-esteem, bad self-image, and violent behavior are all not higher, radically higher in a home that doesn't have a father meaningfully involved. I'm talking 80% to 400% higher. A lot of these statistics were three and 400% higher in a home without a father. And again, this is from a governmental study. One educator and researcher in this study said this, you know, he quote, you know, I've been in this for 30 years. And I always, when I speak to superintendents, social service people, and counselors in schools, they'll easily acknowledge that the root of kids' problems is a lack of relationship with their father. Listen, not having a mother is also extremely devastating, right? Extremely devastating. But we don't have a crisis of absent mothers. Of course, there are absent mothers out there, but we don't have a crisis of absent mothers. You know what? I was trying to find the statistics on what it's like for a kid to grow up in a motherless home, and I couldn't find them. I found tidbits here and there, but every time I started studying what the impact of a motherless home was, it kept pointing me back to fatherless homes. In the, in the article about motherless homes, it kept pointing me back to fatherless homes. In, sec, in secular things, in secular articles and studies. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Because you just couldn't find. Because the problem is a lack of men willing to st step up and take responsibility for their families and their children in meaningful ways. We don't have a mother problem, we have a father problem. Why am I talking about fathers on a week that we're, I'm supposed to be talking to and about the, the role of wives in the marriage? Because of this. 
where men fail to lead in the way that God has called them to, absolute devastation follows in their wake. Just devastation. And ladies, there is something God built into you. Listen, men and women are not the same. Look at these statistics. They're not the same. And there is something that God has built into you that just does not allow you to abandon your children and family like men do, even when you're walking in sin. Of course, there are exceptions to that. I know a few exceptions to that that are in our church that have come from backgrounds like that. There are always exceptions to the rules. But ladies, as, as I've talked about through the series and as I've talked about what it means to be a gospel-centered woman, your sin patterns don't tend to lead you away. Your sin patterns tend to be right here. But men's sin patterns tend to lead them away, to go out there, to run and try to conquer in a way that God's never called them to conquer. And I fully believe that that thing that God built in you to nurture, to hold on to the house, to your sin patterns to be more, more in um, is what holds a lot of families together. Right, The thing that God built in you to stay here is what holds families together and to remind men that their true purpose isn't out there trying to conquer things. Whether that's women or that's video games or whether that's porn or whether that's work or whatever it is, God gave you a role so that you could remind your husbands, to remind your family that your main purpose is to worship God and to be right here to hold on to your family, to take responsibility for it, and to lead your children as you lead children together. But listen, moms aren't abandoning their kids like men are. Here, I fully believe that God, ladies, built you to be an anchor, the anchor that holds your family, your peace, your piece of this puzzle that holds the family together. Men's ultimate, ultimate responsibility may be to point the ship in the right direction, but through willing, hear me, willing and loving submission to that leadership, you're the partner that actually holds the ship together. That holds the ship together. You help us, you help keep us from abandoning our responsibilities and burning the world to the ground. And that's what's happening in our country right now. Man, these 85% of people in prison or in fatherless homes, our world is burning and we're screaming that men and women are exactly the same. And if you say any different, you're, you're a hypocrite, that you sexist that you're whatever else. Our world is burning around us and we can't even see it because we just want things exactly how we want it and we don't want to follow God's way. But that's mostly the secular view. Here's the biblical one. God hasn't called you to submit to your husband's spiritual leadership. Listen, when I say spiritual leadership, you both lead. You both are spiritual. You both teach your kids. You both encourage each other. It's just that the men are to take responsibility for this. And he's not asked them to take responsibility to make sure this happens because, ladies, that you're in any way less capable, less gifted, less intelligent, or any way less than your husband as our society will try to portray. Right? As I've said before, we have women in this room that are better natural leaders than their husband. They're better teachers than their husband. This is not about gifting. This is about God asking you to use your gifts in a particular way so that your marriage and our society might thrive. You were created in God's image just as men were. You were created with gifts just as men were, and you are in every way of equal value to your husband's. This is not about that. It's not about, I know our society tries to tell you it's about that, but it's not about that. People can have unbelievable value and not be the leader. Some of the best people in our country, some of the best leaders we have are the people behind the leader that are holding everything together because the leader is actually an idiot. Is that not true? I'm not going to get political in any way. But listen, there's a lot of leaders out there that are idiots. It's the people behind them holding it together that are actually the ones that 
that are doing the right thing, that are holding the thing together, is this is not about a lesser value. God is asking you to submit in this way, not only so that you, your husband, and your family can thrive, he's asking this of you because it, it literally reflects a piece of God himself that you are meant to reflect. It reflects the image of God. Here's how. Do you know, if you've heard me preach on this, you've heard me say this before, but we got to hold on to this. You know, over and over in Scripture, Jesus talks about how he submits to the leadership of his father. That he submits to his father. That's what Jesus does. He submits to his father. Now, because Jesus lovingly, willingly, hear me, joyfully submits to his father in some things, does that make Jesus in any way less? Does it make Jesus less? No, right? I hope you're shaking your head out. No, of course it doesn't. Jesus' role is to be a helper to his father, and his role is to be a helper to us. Jesus submitted to his father, and through that submission, he literally saved the entire world. Through submission. Through his role of submission, his life had more meaning than any life in the history of the world ever. Ever. His role was absolutely vital and pivotal and is, of course, in no way less than the Father's because God doesn't even see it that way. They all, God the Father, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they all are in complete harmony, working together, all playing their role to, to reflect who God's character is to us. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus' name is above every name on earth and in heaven. Jesus is lifted up high, and his, how high he was lifted up was, came through his submission to the Father and his death on the cross for us when he had all the power to stop it, but he set that power aside to save us and to follow the plan of his Father, to lift up all of humanity. Ladies, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. God is described, well, in Genesis 2 we said first that that your main role that is described as the main role of women is to be a helper. You can do all kinds of things. This is not limiting. But God built something into you to want to be a helper, to be good at being a helper. And as we said, as God himself is described as a helper in the Old Testament 20 times, as Jesus is described as our help, and as Jesus Christ himself described the Holy Spirit as our helper, he said, your helper is going to come to you soon. Your role to submit to your husband is in no way lesser as Christ's role wasn't lesser, as the Holy Spirit's role in our life isn't lesser. It's ridiculous to think of it that way, right? When you think of who God is and what that's meant to reflect, it's ridiculous to say that Jesus or the Holy Spirit was any lesser than God. And people who, who imply that don't understand who God is at all, right? The Holy Spirit is not lesser. The submission is designed to lift up your husband to be far more than he could ever be without you just as the Holy Spirit is our helper to help us become more than we could ever become without him. It's an unbelievable vital role. That's why I said I just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so I can be more than I could ever be without him because without the Holy Spirit, I am lost. And hear me, in a lot of ways, because of that union, because of that mingling of souls that God created so that you're no longer one person, but two people, but one person with your souls mingled together. God has built something in you, ladies, through the way he's called you to live in this role that you can help. As the Holy Spirit helps us, you can help your husband be more than he could ever be without you. How could that be a lesser role? God wants you to help your husband thrive. As God wants your husband to help you thrive. And in the end, I say this reflects 
God himself, because in the end, you're not really submitting to your husband at all. You are submitting to Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. So as your husband submits to Christ, he wants you to submit to his spiritual leadership, because in the end, you're just submitting to, G- you're just submitting to Christ as Christ submits to the Father. And, get, and to get back to the original point, God is telling you that the primary way you do this, that this plays out in your marriage, is to respect your husband's. I said this a couple weeks ago. Women, God has given you the power to absolutely build up your husbands or completely tear them down. It's crazy how much power your words have. And it's because, like we said before, we have been unified with you. Our souls have been mingled with you. And here, I believe, the way that Scripture lays this out, we are designed to rely on, rely on you to be more than we could ever be without you. That's, the, that's this partnership. That's this dance I talked about. We're in the dance together, trying to, trying to make each, do everything we can in the dance to lift each other up so the dance would be more beautiful. And this is God's design for you. So when you tear your husband down, when you belittle him, when you mock him in front of other people, when you tear him down, when you focus on where he's not good enough, we start to believe that we can never be good enough, that we can never be what you need or what God has called us to be. And hear me, every, I think every guy I've ever talked to, whether single or whether married, know there's something in us that feels like always, that feels like we should be more. Ladies, I know that that's, that's for you too, right? We all feel like we should be more. But in particular, in relation to our wives and to our children, there's something in every man that I've ever talked to that feels like I should be more than this. I should be better for this. Not just because I'm supposed to be a better person. I should be better than this for my wife. I know I should be better than this for my children. There's something in us that needs you. Because that's always there in almost every husband I've talked to. But when you believe in us, when we know that you're with us, and really that's what this means, when you respect us, of course we need your love. We want your love. We need, that's, that's like respect and love, right? But, but we, we need that love. But when we think you're with us, that you trust us, that you'll follow us, that you're in this with us, that you respect, that's what it comes down to, that you respect us, we feel like we can do anything. And right now, men feel like, when, with men that feel like they can do anything, when they're port- pointed in the wrong direction, they burn the world to the ground. And when they're pointed in the right direction, they can do beautiful things for the glory of God and to build up his kingdom. And God's given you such a vital part in that role to build us up into what we could be. As I said last week, I think, or two weeks ago, be honest, all wives, men too, but we're talking to wives today, all wives, we, we, we tend, tend to focus more on what our husbands, on what your husbands should be instead of focused on and praying for and asking God to help you build your husband into what he could be. I'm going to say that over and over because that's life. We're so focused on what people should be. What if we were focused on what they could be? And I believe, ladies, that God's built something in in you to help build your husbands up into what he could be because he wants to be more. And your respect for him is tremendous, has tremendous power to build him into that thing that he could be that more. So find ways to encourage him as a spiritual leader. Ladies, hear me. I want you to be spiritual powerhouses in your family. 
I want you to know theology, and I want you to teach, and I want you to be able to communicate the gospel, and I want you to share the gospel with your kids, and I want you to disciple your kids, and I want you to walk through the Bible with your kids. I'm not saying the husband has to do all of that. It's a partnership. Do it together. It'll be better for your kids. It'll be more healthy. You are in this as partners together. The, the role of the husband is not to do all of these things. It's to take responsibility for these things, to make sure it's happening in the, in the family, and to be committed to spiritually loving your home. Right, so ladies, this is not about you not doing these things, but it is about you finding ways particularly to encourage your husband as a spiritual leader, even when he hasn't earned it, even when he doesn't respect that honor. Find ways to respect and honor him. Of course, ladies, if you're thinking this, if anybody's thinking this, of course, ladies, our identity needs to be found in Christ first. That's why we started off how we are all sons of God. We start with the foundation that we're all children of God. We're in his families. Of course, that's got to be our identity first and primary and foremost. But God has given you a little, God has given you a little piece of Christ to be a little piece of Christ to us. Right? There's something unique in you ladies to be a little piece of Christ in us that we need. Christ is our comforter, our helper, our encourager, and he helps us to be more. And God has placed that piece of himself in you. It's in us, and it's in us too, ladies, because we have Christ in us. But there's something special about what God has called you to. So ladies, submit and respect your husband's spiritual leadership, not because you have to, not because God tells you to, but enjoy. Ask God to help you with this. Enjoy, reflect this part of Christ's character, of God's image, so that your family and your marriage might be more. And more importantly, so that you might reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ and our union with him to a watching world. As I said last week, I, I, I say this with absolute humility, man, but I have a healthy marriage. Man, I love my wife, and she loves me, and the, the, our, our marriage wasn't always easy, right? Every marriage has its highs and its lows, but man, a decade or more ago, we got really serious to be committed to this, committed to this thing, to love like Christ and respect as he's calling us to. And man, I'm telling you, our marriage is thriving. It's not perfect, but it's thriving. And I say that in humility because without Christ, I think our marriage could be a disaster because I'm super prideful outside of Christ. My, my wife's, yeah, she's prideful too. I'm gonna say it. Like, she's prideful too. Neither one of us like to say sorry. Never, neither one of us like to admit when we're wrong. We both always think we're right. Does that sound familiar to anyone? We always think we're right. We always wanna argue who started the fight. Like, no, you said, no, you said. We're not even fighting about the fight. We're fighting about who started the fight, right? We're, that's in all of us too. But through Christ trying to submit to his way, grace, mercy, forgiveness, respect, honor, loving as Christ loved himself, man, this thing works. And I want it to work for you because God's design is perfect. God's design is perfect. Your marriage can thrive. I promise you it can thrive. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And some of you have thriving marriages, and praise God for that. I'm not saying this is easy, but I'm telling you it can thrive because God's design is perfect. It works. So before we kind of go to wrapping this up, let me address a couple things. If you're in here today and you're a single mother, let me just say where the ideal is not in place, God's faithfulness and grace abounds for you. As I said a couple weeks ago, where you don't have a husband, Christ will be your husband. Christ wants to be your husband. God can handle it where things are less than ideal. 
You point your kids to Christ. You teach them that God is their true father. And you seek out, if you feel like you need it, you seek out men in the church that you fully trust, that you know love Jesus Christ. And if they need a male influence in their life, you come talk to us and we'll partner up your kids with an awesome man in this church so that he can do his part to help point them as, especially men to other young men, to other boys, so he can point them to what it means to be a man in Jesus Christ. We'd love to walk through that with you. If they don't have that in their life, we want to help you with that. If you want to talk about that, like I said, I got a bolt right after the service, but talk to Brandon, talk to Denny, talk to one of our deacons. We'd, we'd love to, to connect that for you. But you hear me. Yes, it's ideal to have a, a, a wife and to have a husband working together. But listen, where ideal is not there, God's grace abounds for you. And your church is with you. But we won't know it unless you talk to us. For those of you that are married to unbelieving husbands, there are awesome examples of women in Scripture that just stepped up to the plate where male leadership was lacking. Because remember, this isn't about your gifting. There are extremely capable women in the Bible, and there are extremely capable women in our church. It's not about that. So even though men are to take responsibility for spiritual leading, husbands and wives, like I said before, are still to fully do this thing together. So it's not about gifting, it's about God's design. And so you, can, you absolutely can and absolutely should lead your children spiritually, fully take on that mantle of leading them spiritually when your husband won't do it. But as I said to single moms, where the ideal is lacking, God's grace abounds for you. Our Father in heaven can make up for any lack in your lives. We trust him with those things, and he'll make up for the lack. He'll fill in the gaps. And not only that, for those that are married to unbelievers particularly, you need to live this out, even if he's not a believer, to respect your husband in this way in any way you can. As 1 Corinthians 7 and other places in Scripture tells us, you may be the thing with the way that you love him and respect him. You may be the thing that ends up pointing him to the holiness and the truth of who God is. Love him and respect him when he doesn't deserve it. Show him respect when he hasn't earned it. And make it clear to him that you're doing it because you love Jesus Christ and that's what he's done to you. And he'll see that in you. And your kids will see that in you. And maybe, just maybe, over time, that will be one piece in the puzzle that finally leads him to Jesus Christ as his Savior. There's people in our church that I pray constantly for this, all the time, every day. You stay faithful. You stay committed. You show respect and love. Point him to Jesus Christ all the time. But until then, know that God's grace abounds for you, and we are with you, and however you need us to be engaged in that. So to wrap up this thing on marriage, let me say this. Men, hear it. Let it sink in. Write it down. Try to live it every day. You give your life to love your, you give your life to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And hear this part, men, even when she doesn't reciprocate. You look at this as your commitment to Christ and your commitment to point her to Christ again and again and again with your life and with your, Christ, with your Christ-like love. You stay the course, whether she reciprocates or not. Ladies, if your husband is not loving you in the way that he should, you point him to Christ again and again and again by showing him respect 
and loving him, but primarily showing him respect even when it's not deserved. And hear me, there's going to be lots of times he's probably not going to deserve it, yet you show him the love and respect of Christ anyway. And as I said to the men last week, this might be on some of your minds, as I said to the men last week, I am in no way saying that you affirm sin. I'm in no way saying that you affirm things that are unhealthy, that are evil, that are not good. I'm in no way saying that you have to put up with abuse and just bear it right. If you're abused, being abused, you talk to us. We'll get you out of that house. We'll talk to you the right way forward. I'm in no way saying that you put up with any of those things, that you follow him in sin, that you try to respect him in the sinful things that he's doing or doing to you in no way. Like, listen, we're not saying that. But outside of that, any way that you can show respect to your husband, Show that you're with him, that you trust him, that you're behind him in any way you can, whether even that, that starts with tiny little steps because he doesn't deserve it or big steps because he's, he's more deserving of that respect. You find ways to encourage him, to lift him up, to make him and build him into being more than he could ever be without you. And in time, husbands, and in time, wives, you may just see your, your spouse reciprocating and growing in their love and respect for you. But more importantly, you may see them growing in their love and respect for Jesus Christ because that is ultimately what marriage is meant to do. Point us to Jesus. Listen, church, as I said before, for those of you in particular that are in marriages that are difficult, and I know there's people in this room that have marriages that are difficult, I I wish you wouldn't hide. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that marriages are struggling down the road when it feels like it's too late, when it's gone too far, and oh, if I could just beg you not to do that, like what, what, whatever, here, listen, whatever I'm doing from the front or it's happening in our church that makes you feel like you're going to be judged or looked down on because your marriage is struggling, please hear me, it's not true. We love you. And as you've experienced, if your marriage is struggling, everything in your life is worse. Everything. Your children are worse. Your job is worse. Your mental capacity is worse. Your emotions are worse. Even your physical health is wor- worse. If your marriage is struggling, we love you. We want your marriage to thrive. Communicate with us. I'm not saying we'll do everything perfect, but communicate with us. There's no judgment. We want you to find joy in your marriage, and it's so possible because God's design is perfect. And so even for you in the room today where your marriage is struggling a little bit and it's difficult, hear me, love is primarily a choice. It's not just a feeling. As I said, feelings come and go. God chooses to love you despite all the failures, despite everything that you did. And you want that from God. You need that from God because we both know that I'm not and you're not deserving of the kind of grace and love that God shows us because he simply chooses to love us. He loves you. No matter what, you're his child and he loves you unconditionally no matter what if you've given your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he wants us to love our spouse in the same way. So even when we aren't feeling it, we choose to love. We choose to show respect. We choose to do it God's way so that it might be reconciled. It might be healed. And so that our our marriage might more reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your marriage can be more. Your marriage can be more. So hear me, you fight for it. You fight for it. Let us help, let us help you fight for it. And so it can be everything that God has called it to be. God wants you to thrive. He wants your marriage to thrive. And through your marriage, he wants to display the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus Christ to the world. And your marriage can do that. 
Your marriage can be joyful and, dis and display the gospel to the world. And not only that, maybe, just maybe, if you're committed to this and, you're, man, your marriage is reflecting the gospel, not perfectly, but that's where the gospel comes in when we're not perfect, right? So if your marriage is displaying the gospel, maybe, just maybe, that family member or that friend or that, people, that person that you care about will see the way that you love your spouse. They'll see the way that your marriage reflects the gospel and maybe they'll come have a conversation with you. And maybe how your marriage displays the gospel will be the thing that leads them to Jesus Christ. Maybe. Commit your life to God's way, not the way that feels right to you. And let's have marriages at Freshwater that thrive. Pray with me. Oh God, I am so thankful that you've proven your faithfulness to us again and again and again. God, it should be enough for us. God, I know it should be enough for us that you're God and that we're not. That you've given us commands and that we, could sh we should just follow. But so often we rebel against those things. So often we fail at those things. Yet you are there to pick up the pieces, to restore, to redeem, to remind us that you are, that you not only love us, but you find joy in us. That we are your beloved, that you don't just put up with us, that, you, that we are your children, that you want to see grow and thrive and move forward in you. God, I thank you that that's the picture that we see in, in the word, that, you, that we are your beloved. And so God, even though all that's true, it's so clear that you haven't called us to easy. And, and wanting and living this out in a culture that rebels so hard against this, God, I, can I just be honest, God, this isn't easy. So as you call yourself God, Jesus, as you do for your Father and for us, as the Holy Spirit is, God, I pray that you would be our helper. We are not enough for this. We're not enough to love as you love. We're not enough to show respect when it's just not really deserved. We're not enough to forgive and show grace and mercy and seek reconciliation like you've called us to. So God, help Help us to be more. Help us to want more. Help us not to put up with the same old, same old, but long for our marriages to reflect what you're talking about here. Marriages that thrive and reflect your gospel. God, we can't do this alone, but I thank you so much that you said that you never meant for us to do it alone, that in our weakness, that's where we find your strength. So help us to find your strength. God, I pray for the single mothers for those married to unbelievers where that causes tension, for those who aren't married and long to get married, God, I pray you'd be with all of them and wherever they feel lack in their life that you would fill in the gaps, that you would be God and that your grace and blessing would abound. And I pray that you would also stir it in the hearts of our people here that wherever those are gaps, that we can come in and help fill and encourage, that you'd stir in our hearts to want to go and to help and to serve and to engage in that fight in any way that we can. God, I'm, I'm begging you, help Freshwater be a place where we have healthy marriages that are thriving so that they may reflect your glory, your goodness, your grace, your gospel to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.